This morning's reading comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Further instructions. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Liz. Whilst I think of it, if anyone would like to share in Bible reading or in any area of church ministry, please don't be shy. Every so often God gives me a word of knowledge, but it's very rarely that someone should be a Bible reader. So just say, or if there's some area of church life, please don't be shy. So we're in our series on making Jesus known, and we need to know what sort of uh, saviour he is. Why is Jesus good news today? Hopefully you've got some idea, and that's probably why you're here. But um, that's the sort of content, but how do we go about sharing our faith in Jesus? Some people are just so brilliant at sharing their faith. They just do it really naturally. I tend to be rather irritated by them because I find it really hard. Um, I get awkward, well, even for me, even more awkward uh, about doing stuff um, and embarrassed. But when people find they're really good at it, they very naturally share their faith. The Bible calls those people evangelists. But if you were to go out and very sadly see a, a road accident, you'd be called on as a witness. You would have seen something and you will be asked to share your story. And if you said to the police, oh, I don't know if I can, they'd say, well, get over it. You're going to have to. And that's really the call of God. You may not be an evangelist, but we are all called, if we follow Jesus, to be witnesses, just to tell our story simply and coherently, without exaggerating. I love exaggerating. I do it thousands of times a day. <laughs> See what I did there. Sorry. Um, but in our culture, I mean, famously, someone said, we, in politics, we don't do religion. You know, there's something about our culture. Other cultures, people talk about their faith very naturally. And I've noticed sometimes people want to talk about church. Um, but actually, church doesn't save people. Jesus say He alone can rescue. You may have noticed we sung that a few thousand times earlier. So it's Jesus we want to be talking about. And yet I could settle for church. And we, we serve very nice coffee, you know. That's not the good news. You know, it's got to be better than tea with the vicar. They've got to have encounter. They've got to meet Jesus to experience good news. But it does sometimes feel a bit like impolite to talk about him. And so I'm going to hope that we can grow a bit more confident. And I want to assure you of two good things. You don't have to become someone you're not. If you're a a screaming and introvert, actually that's a contradiction in terms, if you're a very quiet introvert, 
you can remain completely who you are. In fact, become more fully the person God made you to be, but still be a brilliant witness. You're not becoming someone else, you're other than perhaps more like Jesus. And the really good news, you're not becoming more like me. So just relax over that one. But we can grow more confident and competent learning how to share our life with God outside these walls. In uh, the 9.30 service, the blessing they get is they have a second Bible reading. But I'll just tell you, um, we, we read from two kings. That's Two kings is in the first half of, of the Bible, the Jewish scriptures there. And in 2 Kings 7, there's this beautiful story of um, the Arameans have besieged a city, Samaria. The king of Israel is there. They're all dying of starvation. It's a hopeless, terrifying case. But there's a, a group of lepers who aren't allowed in the city. They're just at the city gate. And they say, well, we're just going to die here. There's no point going to the city. We're going to die there. Let's go over to the Arameans. Perhaps there will be hope. And maybe, and if we die, we die. <laughs> it's going to happen anyway, sooner or later. Fairly sort of phlegmatic view there. Um, but miraculously, they go into the camp and find it abandoned because the Arameans had heard a rumor that others were invading and that they just scarpered. And suddenly these lepers walk into the camp and find all this food and all the goodies. This is what happens. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent, took some things from it, and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. I find that such a provoking image. I mean, they were the bottom of the social pile, but they'd suddenly had really good news. And selfishly, instinctively, they clung on to it. And then they say, no, this isn't right. Evangelism, sharing faith, is one beggar telling another beggar where they can get free food. That's all we're doing. We're sharing good news. And if we don't share that faith, when there's appropriate opportunities, I think of those words condemning me. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Imagine you did discover, uh, or it was discovered, an amazing cure for cancer or some terrible... If that person didn't share it, it would be awful. There'd be blood on their hands, and I feel that... So this is hopefully making you all feel really guilty. <laughs> but it says in uh, Ezekiel about, uh, I've appointed you a, a watchman. I feel that really strongly on my life. I'm not saying you should, but I feel if I don't tell people, it's on my conscience, it's on my watch. I didn't throw the life ring out when someone really needed it. And I mean, I know I, you probably think I live here. I don't live in church. I meet lots of people in the community. There are people dying in our city with their lives of quiet desperation 
wondering if there is hope. And I don't want people to live and die without knowing there is hope. There really is hope. It's been my experience, and I'm sure it's been yours too. So how can we share our faith in Jesus without becoming more weird or rude? So that's a head start for some of us, you know, I'm already quite up there. Um, we want to be loving and kind and appropriate, but actually have a boldness that we have got something. Uh, and so I find these four verses in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, really insightful, really helpful. We've probably all had bad experiences of people, so forget about that. We don't want to be weird, but we do want to be agents of good news. When each of my sons proposed to their spouses, um, they didn't have to go on a course of how to share this news. They were fully excited to share it, and I'm hoping that will uh, fill our lives too. And so, Paul says, devote yourselves. Devote yourselves to prayer. The things that we devote ourselves to are the things that hold our greatest commitment. We're all devoted to different things. Xbox, I mean, what, what is it for you? No, don't say no. But if you were an athlete, uh, it would be to training to get the best you can. If it's as an entrepreneur, you're creating a small business and how can you make it thrive and be effective and successful? If you're devoted to a relationship, you're thinking, how can I grow this relationship wisely and well? And Paul says we can have that sort of energy in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. I have four children and seven godchildren. And um, that's not a brag, it's just the fact. Um, I pray for them every morning of my life. Um, I pray that they'll get to know Jesus if they don't yet know him. And for those who do, that they'll grow in their love of Jesus. Now, why I'm telling you this is because I pray for them every day because I know if I try and do it less than every day, it will just never happen. So I've got in a routine of every day I do it, if I were to forget, I don't get superstitious. It's not dependent on me anyway. It's all about God. But I think I want to devote myself because I actually made promises as a parent and as a godparent to pray. That's the first question in a baptism service. Will you pray for this person? So I think, well, if I don't get it in my daily routine, it just won't happen. What are the things or the people you could devote yourself? That doesn't mean it takes up, a, you know, 100 hours. It could be two minutes. But every day you get in a routine of praying for someone that their eyes will be opened to Jesus and who he is. And um, I'd encourage you to be quite specific in your prayers. I mean, we can get too specific. I was in a church on a placement once where the, they prayed for the, every road. And it was a lovely thing to do, but even song. And it would be like, Lord, we pray for all the people in Waters Road, numbers 1 to 49. <laughs> and I thought, what? Like God was going to bless number 50. Oop, no, better wait a week. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what God does with that sort of prayer. But I like the idea that we're intentional about seeking God's blessing for our uh, community. Um, 
but how specific can you cope with making your prayers? I'm sure I've asked this before. How many of you pray for parking spaces? For yourself? Okay. <laughs> That's divided the church just there. Okay. But if I were to pray, God bless everyone everywhere, I'd find that quite hard to know and to monitor, has it been answered? Whereas the more specific you get, without telling God exactly what is God's business to do. Um, so I think we can pray specific things, and I think Paul did. So I'd like to encourage you, like Paul, Paul is locked in prison when he writes this letter, and his prayer is, pray for us too, that God may open a door. I think, well, that would make sense. But actually, it's not his door. It's that God may open a door for our message. Just pray that God will somehow create an open door for someone hearing and understanding who Jesus is. Pray that there's a new house or a new heart opened to understand Jesus. And it's God's work. We can win an argument but lose a friend. I've done that. I won. And they were further from Jesus than ever because of the way I spoke to them. So only God can open the doors of people's hearts. When I was 19, I was um, at teacher training college and did a degree there. And I remember um, a girl, it was her very first day at uh, uni. And her bad luck was to bump into me. And I told her about Jesus. Uh, it was in, in the evening. For, I would say, probably about three hours. I answered every question she really didn't have. Uh, and what I noticed from this encounter was that for the next three years, she avoided me at all costs. I mean, she would just literally turn... It wasn't very useful. Uh, it wasn't useful or helpful at all. So I've done enough evangelism in my own strength to think I don't want to do that anymore. It's hard work and it's unfruitful and just basically rude and embarrassing. A bit like the fisherman saying to Jesus, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. And as only God can do it, Paul asked them, devote yourselves to prayer for God to open a door for the message. And, and what's the message? Well, he describes it here as the mystery, the Greek word there, mysterion, from which we get the English word mystery or, or secret. It's somehow like the parable of the sower. God's word can be sort of broadcast, like the sower. It goes out, but it lands on a pavement and a crow comes and just pecks it straight up. It doesn't sink in. Sometimes I've heard brilliant sermons from someone else explaining Jesus, and friends I'd brought to church were completely unmoved. I think, how's that possible? How can anyone resist the love of God when it's being presented so clearly? But it's a mystery. People don't automatically get it. And the longer you've been in church, you can start thinking people are just a bit simple. Why don't they understand who Jesus is? But it hasn't been revealed. The mystery is not yet unlocked to them. 
And so Paul says it's like that. And why God then has to open the door for the message, and we devote ourselves to prayer for that, for God's miracle to be able to happen, for his life to come. And Paul, of course, was a brilliant preacher, but even Paul had to work really hard to explain his faith clearly. So he says, verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians, he says I resolved to know nothing while I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I've got a stack of sermons that you will never hear. Things I think are brilliant about God, but I just don't think it's probably going to serve. So we work out, we prioritize. What is the clarity? What is the really good news, the essentials? Otherwise, we say so many things, people don't really hear the really important things about Jesus. I've got a couple of booklets up here. Some of you might have seen these, Journey into Life, the wonderful book by Norman Warren and Why Jesus by Nicky Gumbel. I've given out literally hundreds of these because I think they're really good at keeping the gospel simple and making it clear. It's not the only way we could express faith, but they've been worked on to be really clear. And I suppose I'd like to challenge myself and you, are you able to say the gospel clearly? So that if your friend or neighbor says, honestly though, can there be a God? When we look at the world today, it's so hopeless. And religion starts most of the wars, doesn't it? So, you know, how is Jesus good news? What do you say? Ah, oh, good point. I'll get back to the vicar. <laughs> I think you can do better than that. We can all, and so it's not that we're being slick. We're just thinking, how do we give a coherent, truthful account of why we do still trust in Jesus despite all the horror. And of course, uh, Peter in his first letter, 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, even if my sermons are rubbish, I want you to know I try them out in advance. Not on Sue, she's heard everything I've ever said. But I actually say them aloud. This may surprise you or confirm your worst fears about me. But I find I want to practice. Uh, have you ever, I love watching comedians like Live at the Apollo. I'm not promoting it, I'm just saying. But if you watch great comedians, they sound like they're just saying it for the first time. They're not. They've practiced, they've rehearsed their gig routine. Now, we don't want to become slick and smug, but we could practice how do we share who Jesus is and our own journey, like those lepers. So well, we went in, and this, we found this. This is good news. You can share why is Jesus good news and practice it aloud. You don't have to be in front of a mirror, but some of you might enjoy that. I don't know. But I think we can learn how to become uh, clear in the way. And then, proclaim it clearly, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. I first met Sue when we were uh, both teachers in Guernsey. Um, she teaches music around different schools. And uh, the first time I met her, I said, where do you teach? She said, I'm a peripatetic teacher. 
I said, oh, you, you're marvellous. Because <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant something different. <laughs> she is marvellous, but not for the reason I thought. Um, I now know that the Greek word peripateo, peri about, pateo, where you walk, where you walk about. Now, that's actually the word that Paul uses. Be wise in the way you walk about with outsiders people who don't yet share our faith. In the Second World War, there was a slogan which you might have heard of, careless talk costs lives. But in church, it's sort of the other way around. Careless lives cost talk. And when Christians do stupid or bad things, it is noticed. It will get into the media. And so Paul says, be wise in the way you're living. So we might translate it um, in the way you walk about or behave or act. So it's lives, not just words. But he does say, um, make the most of these opportunities. I, I get some opportunities you won't get. Um, this week, several times I've been called to someone's deathbed because they're dying. And the care home has just called me. They don't know me. They just think a priest might know what he's doing. So I get those opportunities, but I won't get to talk to your neighbours probably. You'll have opportunities that no one else in this room will have. We each have unique opportunities, and some are church-based, but most are out there. They're not in the church, are they? And Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. So think of the places, where are you going to be peripateing this week? So it might be the, the gym or the pub, a playgroup, a school with your neighbours, the allotment. How many of you have got an allotment? No shame? Oh, there's three, three hands there. So, uh, sorry, you're really going to have to raise your game at the allotment for some reason there. Uh, or your workplace or at home, where there's someone who doesn't yet share your faith, how do you live with those people to express the love and uh, compassion of Jesus? And Paul says, make the most of it. Not overwhelming people, as I have often done, but listening. People are much more likely to listen when they've been listened to or served in practical ways. Use these to the full. And then Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Oh, I'm not like that. I get to the end of many days and think, I wish I hadn't said that. Sue tends to get to the end of days and say, I wish I had said that. If you're introvert or extrovert, it sort of plays out that sort of way. But I always feel God can use the words you use. He can't use words you didn't actually say. So if I feel a nudge, I'm just going to say it and pray that God will use those words. One translation of this verse is, let your words be always gracious, never insipid. It's an interesting word. We're not meant to become bland or always safe. That's the image of being seasoned with salt. There's something flavorsome and people go, hmm, that's nice. 
so our conversation makes people think, oh, that would be nice to find out more. There will be people who don't share your faith, but they're really glad you do. And then the day will come when something bad happens, then you'll say, can I pray with you or for you? And they'll say, oh, thank you. That will be a gift. And they'll know you, you're a person of integrity who will then do it. And then Paul goes on to say in another translation, learn how best to respond to each person you meet. And I take comfort in that. So I'm not very good, but I'm learning how to respond to different people. I, the way I became Christian, I thought everyone should have exactly the same experience as I did. And it turns out that's not true. Because everyone's different, but they can encounter God in their way. So I want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And if I'm in a conversation, I've got one ear to God and one to the person, and trying to say, God, how can we make this person, help the person hear your voice, know your ways? Um, I will stop talking soon. Yeah. Know how to answer everyone. It's, again, not being glib or smug or having all the answers. I certainly don't. But we could start every day with saying, Lord, help me to share something of your love with the people I meet today. And once we've raised our consciousness to it, we'll find it happens. I went on the train last week for the first time in ages. But I remember when I was a student, I did the train a lot, and I bought lots of copies of John's Gospel. And I had a, just a little habit of saying, Lord, may I be able to give this Gospel to someone? I never had a train journey where I didn't give it away. I, I just had a, carried an expectation it would happen, and it did. And so I'm trying to raise our hopefulness and our expectation. God wants to use you, uh, and if we're conscious about it, it just becomes easier and a bit more natural, and it's not awkward uh, at all. So that each one of us becomes confident and effective in speaking clearly and loving, lovingly of Jesus and ask the Spirit every day. So, I wonder if we could just read this, uh, these four verses that say a lot. Is it four? It's five, isn't it? I, I'm better at words than numbers. Let's just say it, though, together quite slowly. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I want us to be able to uh, respond to God's word, whatever Jesus is saying to you, uh, to have space for that. So could I just invite everyone to, to stand up as we, if we want to respond to God in any way at all, let's just stand in God's presence. Lord, please come now by your spirit. 
rest on us. Speak to our minds, our hearts, our wills. Come Holy Spirit. Paul said uh, to Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. I I believe God wants to encourage you that there are people here, you used to be good at sharing your faith, and now it's sort of the fire's gone a bit. Well, God doesn't want to humiliate or embarrass or shame you, but just say, come on, stir it up again. You've got good news. This is a day of good news, and not everyone knows it. So if you think you'd like to be encouraged and stir up again what you used to be willing to do, would you perhaps just raise your hand if you think that's, yeah, yeah, I could share my faith better. Okay, and, and would everyone, if, if, that's, if you see that person, would the people just around them pray just silently, blessing on the people who've just raised their hand. Come Holy Spirit, stir up those gifts again. And I think, just carry on praying, there are other people who you actually have a mortal terror of sharing your faith. You're actually in prison, like Paul said, but you emotionally, you are just so scared of what other people would say or feel. And the fear of man is in you rather than the fear of God. And if you would like to be freed from that, just invite you to raise your hand and people around you can pray for you. If you are unduly concerned what people think of you or what you say, just raise your hand now and people around you silently pray. Okay, let's pray for these dear people. And I think there are some people, some of us have just been living the story for such a long time, we've forgotten what good news it is. You've forgotten what a wonderful saviour you have because it's become sort of over-familiar. And if you'd like the love of God rekindled in your life, just to fall in love with Jesus, just like Jesus said to the church in Revelation, I have this against you, you've forgotten your first love. Like when you were first going out with someone and that's all you could think about. If, If that's you and you want that first love rekindled, would you just raise a hand and the people around you can pray for you. If that's you, don't be shy. Just say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit now. Father, we all want to grow in that, I think. And uh, especially for those who've responded and put their hands up, would you come by your Spirit with a renewed love and joy and power? Come Holy Spirit. And for those who didn't put their hands up but still feel it, those who still feel embarrassed, Lord, may there be no shame in your presence but release and joy and forgiveness and a new start by your grace. 